millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, we have some more French Open semi-finalists. We found a few of them yesterday, and today the lineup is confirmed. It'll be Casper Ruud, who we've just watched toil through four sets against Holger Rune. He'll take on Marin Cilic, the resurgent Marin Cilic, in the semi-finals in a couple of days' time. And in the women's, it'll be the world number one, Iga Svantec, to take on Daria Kazatkina the 20th seed, I think also resurgent. I'm going to use that word about her as well. They will face off in a semi-final tomorrow. Of course, both women's semi-finals to be played tomorrow, Thursday, here in Paris. It's a mere 1am podcast team. Yeah. We're all fresh as spring daisies. We could go out. <laughs> Dave, David did say earlier, do you, want to go out to, do you want to go out for dinner? And Matt was like, we, we've got to watch Runa Rude, David. Yeah. Calm down. I got, I got overwhelmed. I got overruled. <laughs> Overruined. <laughs> Didn't quite work there that, did it? There was almost a joke there. <laughs> You should have gone with Rude, not Runa. I, I kind of didn't intend to go with either. Mm. And then I thought, oh, this works. <laughs> I mean, it's still a late finish, isn't it? It just yeah. doesn't feel like a late finish because relatively it's, it's, it's nothing in the scheme of things. Yeah, this time yesterday we were wrapped up in a, in a tie break on the court. Philippe Chatrier is still about two hours away from actually podcasting. So true. And there will uh, that will end up coming up, folks. Many of you will know that Amelie Moresmo gave a press conference this morning at 10am. Quick, a quick word for that's, Catherine there, I think. A, that's a sigh for the scheduling. Yeah. Uh, and we will be talking about it in quite some detail later. But we want to talk about the tennis first. And I think we should lead with the world number one, Iga Svantec, because... The banana skins keep being presented to her and she keeps daintily and elegantly dancing around them and pressing right on. And I think I'm maybe more impressed with her as a result because we've already seen her do the demolition job where she just sort of sweeps all before her as though they're not even there. And this is a different challenge altogether and it's three rounds in a row where this has been the case first Danka Kovinic who won what was it nine games in their match a few days ago and then we had um, Zhang Chinwen who 
won a set, an hour and a half long 7-6 set, which could so easily have rocked Sviantek's confidence because she played well in that set and usually when she plays well in a set, it's 6-1 at worst. Um, so then she comes in and plays Jessica Pagula. Now, I commentated on the first set and that was nip and tuck all the way through and, and she was not, not hitting top gear, I didn't think, but she was playing well enough but Pagula just wouldn't go away. And and I, th- I just think that's really impressive when a player like Sviantek is on this incredible run. What is it, 33 match wins in a row now? Mm. Uh, you know, you, you need to find a way mentally to handle that, to handle the fact that so many people are already handing her the title. Um, and then when a player like Pagula steps up and stays with you and puts scoreboard pressure on you, if you find a way to win that, Hats off, and she did. Yeah, I felt it was quite an impressive performance from Sviantek. I I was reading quite a lot of chat, mainly on Twitter, that maybe she wasn't playing that well, and it was quite a quite a patchy performance. I think lots of people were thinking, and I guess you know there were moments where she made quite a lot of errors, but I just think we've set well, she's set the standard so high that anything that doesn't quite meet virtually perfection, we can sometimes think, oh, Sviantek's not playing that well. But actually, if you look at her numbers in that match, it was really impressive. She she performed at a high level. And Jessica Pagula is someone who kind of has weapons to hurt her. And it was it was a tricky match, as as you've both said. So for her to come through it losing, what, five games, I think, just is just yet another measure of how impressive she is really well consider me put back in my box then because i've written down as a question here is is it potentially a problem that that's been two rounds that she she hasn't played her best tennis but maybe i'm looking for i'm looking for not i'm not i'm not looking for weaknesses in shvontek but i'm Maybe I'm looking for weaknesses in Schwantek just to make well, make this interesting. I think you know. I think it is interesting actually, and and whilst I give her credit for getting through these rounds, and I think that that is impressive in its own right, it's still not the same as destroying the opposition, which she did two years mm. ago. That would be more of a statement. That would strike more fear. I think the the streak that she's on is just an incredible run. But I don't think Kasatkina will be scared. No, I agree, and I'm skipping around here, but I think we'll really be able to tell if she gets to the final because we know how she plays finals. You know, she thrashes people in finals. If if she goes down an early break in a final or is really pushed in the first set, I think that will be a sign that she's maybe tight and nervous or, you know, whoever she plays there is really bringing it. And how does she deal with that situation? Because... You know, all the big finals she's played, she's just jumped out to an early lead and run away with it. So that, I think, will be a real test. But obviously, there's a big one in the semi-final as well. Mm, and we we will talk about that in a moment. I just want to, to stay on Sviantek just a little bit. It, it would definitely be harsh to suggest that she's playing badly or or way off her best. She's just not, as you say, David, she's just not demolishing all all before her, like we've seen in a lot of those 33 wins that she's she's put together in that streak but 
goodness me, she's come such a long way in, in such a short period of time, Matt, because I was thinking today about the Australian Open, where she had a great run. She lost in the semi-finals, didn't she? But throughout that tournament, throughout that run, the, the sort of the theme psychologically in her press conferences was her desperation to overcome her perfectionism. Mm. wasn't it and to learn how to win ugly and to learn how to mentally cope with the concept of of winning ugly and look three and two over pagula today it was not ugly but it it was not perfect by by any standards it could have been the sort of performance i think that in Sviontek years gone by, make it sound like she's been around for donkey's years. She's she's twenty years old, um, but oh, twenty twenty one. Sorry, it's her. Well, it was her birthday. Until she for, an she hour forgot. And six Don't worry. She, she wrote the wrong age on the camera. Um, yes, she somehow thought she was a, 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 yeah. a another year older. She wrote twenty two. I think maybe she's just got Rafa Nadal's twenty two in her mind. She, do you know? I've just realised how much Taylor Swift potential there is <laughs> yes. in that record going to be revisited potentially on <laughs> Sunday folks you might have to explain that to me there's a very famous very wonderful Taylor Swift song called 22 oh okay um, I mean Iga Shvantec was was missing she's missing more but she's going for a lot you know mm. there's, there's not many rally balls going on you know she's she is rallying but I actually think her opponents are playing better and that's that's the the main reason she's not destroying them actually I think that they're, they're standing up and thinking that they can take her on. Um, That's such a good point about rally balls. Every shot feels like it has a purpose oh yeah. with Iga there's a There's a point, yeah. When I, I haven't played tennis much recently, but when I used to, to play with my brother quite a lot, he'd say, why aren't you trying to win the point? <laughs> why are you? And I'm sort of thinking, well, I'm just quite enjoying hitting nice nice tennis balls, you know, just just sort of pleased with myself that I'm keeping it in. She didn't try and do that sort against me. Nishikori, Pablo oh, Carreño Buster say, oh style. Oh my God, you're Pablo Carreño Buster. <laughs> Turns out I might be. Um, <laughs> she was trying to absolutely knock the living daylights out of it <laughs> when she played very, me. She'd been coached by her brother by specific then. situation. But yeah, Matt's like, try and win the point with, with your shots. And that's what she's trying to do. I mean, this, this is such basic analysis, isn't it? Shontek is trying to win the point when yeah. she hits tennis balls. But... You know, Pablo Carreño Busta, Kena Shikori, it is not. I saw her do something today that I haven't seen before and a reaction from her opponent as a result. And that was the kind of Rafael Nadal walk off to the side, fiddle about with the towel and then walk back again. Whilst holding up the opponent's serve. And Jessica Pagula was getting wound up by it and she had a word with the umpire about it at the end of the first set. She, she has a few moves... Shviontek, that she wouldn't get away with so well if she weren't delightful, I think. Was it her last round match that we were watching, Matt? Yes, it was. It was the Zheng, um, the, uh, Zheng Chinwen match um, where it was in the second set, maybe even the third set, in fact, and Zheng missed a smash, a very easy smash, Matt's sort of thinking, oh my God, I've seen so many people miss so many smashes this week. It feels like a a running theme whenever we sit down on a court, someone hits a smash that bounces before it still reaches think, the net. Still thinking about on the Jabers on <laughs> yes. the uh, first Sunday of the tournament. Pretty much the first shot we saw hit was Oz Jabers missing a smash. Anyway, um, Zhang missed an, an absolute sitter and Sviontek did a sort of pirouette fist pump. <laughs> 
oh, yes. right into the air. And I that I, it was a pretty aggressive celebration. What was your take? I was the, going to say on, there was a moment today where I think... Well, it was a, she hit a passing shot. She chased down a drop shot. And this is break point. This is what sealed the break of serve in the first set. Chased down a drop shot, hit the most miraculous little dink cross court, except that when we saw the replay, it was a double bounce. And the umpire had missed it. I assume Sviantek didn't realise she'd done it. I'm hoping that's the case. Uh, Pagula didn't seem to clock it either. Um, but then on the big screen, they showed it. And I reckon that both player, umpire and uh, an opponent all weren't looking at the big screen at that point. Because if they had been, that would have been a big row. Because, I mean, they played in the stadium that she'd just broken serve to win the set with a double bounce passing shot. Don't want to go all debating VAR on our listeners, but that is an example of tennis looking incredibly silly, isn't it? Oh, showing absolutely. showing yeah. that the technology is there and the totally uncontroversial technology is there and it's just not being used for reasons unknown. Yeah, I don't understand it. And even more so that it has been trialled. And it's been shown to work, and yet it hasn't been brought in. Did Pagula talk about it? Pagula talked about it. Sviontek talked about it. Sviontek said that um, she was so focused on trying to get the ball, she didn't realise that it was a double bounce, and you know it is ultimately up, up to the umpire to call it. Um, Jessica Pagula was sort of halfway through her press conference one of the journalists said I want to talk to you about the three all point and she went oh yeah the double bounce she sort of (laughs) she knew what it was but again I don't think she was blaming Sviantek I mean personally I from the small amount of tennis I've played I tend to think the player does know or should know really um, I think it's easier for the player to tell than the umpire, probably. Is it like batsman getting a nick. Ex- exactly. Yeah, you always know. But it can be very, very tight. And yeah, I do think a replay is is the solution. If it's virtually a half folly, maybe maybe you don't quite mm. know whether you've got underneath it or, or stubbed it. Stubbed it into the ground. Yeah. Mm. Just on Jessica Pagula, before we move on to Sviontek's semi-final opponent, is this... Is this her ceiling here? I mean, obviously, you know, freak freak things can happen, opportunities arise, you, you never know. But generally speaking, in a normal Grand Slam, she, I mean, she's somebody that we've endless respect for. We know she's absolutely maxing out on all of her potential. She's rinsing it, isn't she? Is mm. there more to come? Or is she maxing it right now? Is sort of reaching quarterfinals and doing so with the impressive consistency that she's doing. Is this peak Jessica Bagula? I'd say she's probably getting the most out of her game. I think, you know, she's likely going to be top 10 in the world after this tournament, which is incredible. Mm. And, and and she talked about that, you know, 10 in the world. You know, she really paused and took in the significance of that. And, she's, and she spoke about how, you know, she used to worry about trying to break top 100. And then when you break it, you think, oh, what was I worrying about? It wasn't that hard. Um, so I really think she's maximising her game. I do think she could have better results still because I think she could get better draws. You know, she lost yeah. to Ash Barty yeah. in the Australian Open quarterfinal, world number one at the time. 
She's now lost to Iga Svantec, world number one here. If she can avoid the world number ones, <laughs> she's as consistent as anyone at these big events. Put it this moment. way, she's as, she's as good as Danielle Collins. And yeah. Danielle Collins yeah. reached a final. I think so. And also, I just, you know, just generally on Pagula, I, I went to a press conference and Chris Clary was there. And, you know, it was, it was a sort of kind of audience for Jessica Jessica. Pagula for about 20 minutes she spoke on a lot of different subjects and Chris Clary tweeted that she's one of the best interviews in tennis at the moment because she's funny and expansive and thoughtful and I thought she gave a really interesting analysis of what it's like to play Igor Svantec I asked her about playing her on clay versus playing her on a hard court and also just generally the challenge and she said something which I've only heard players say in relation to Rafael Nadal before in that he hits such a specific ball that you can't really train for it, you can't really practice for it, and you're just faced with it on the match court for the first time, and suddenly you've got to deal with it, and it's quite overwhelming. And she said that Igor Svantec's the same, basically, for her, that her, her ball is different, her intent on the shots is different, and she actually compared it to Ash Barty. She said Barty was like that. That was a one-off game. No one else played like Barty with the slice. And she said, I just find it really difficult to have to play them in matches when I'm not used to playing them. So maybe if she plays them a bit more, she would get more mm. success against them. But yeah, I think she's a really astute analyst, I think, of the game. And that really came across in her press conference. That is fascinating analysis. Svantec would just so love to hear that, wouldn't she? Any kind of similarity drawn between her mm. and Rafael Nadal, she's she's framing that and popping it up in the bedroom. In in her semi-final, Iga Svantec will face the 20th seed Daria Kasatkina, who, of course, has been a quarter-finalist here before some years ago now, into the semi-finals for the first time, had to work for it today straight set 6476 over fellow russian veronica kudamatova i watched the uh, i watched the opening stages of this and kudamatova came out playing playing really well timing the ball so well didn't didn't look nervous and obviously has has the greater power and sort of obvious weaponry of the two and i was thinking Oh God! How's Kasatkina going to win points here? You know, she's just she just hasn't got the arsenal. This looks like a total mismatch. But she just kept her cool, and she just weaves a little web, yeah, doesn't she? Sums it up perfectly. Um, and she can she manages a three set match the way men manage five set matches in some ways. She because she doesn't panic. She just she's happy to take it into the middle stages of a set and then establish herself and back the fact that a player won't be able to hit winners long enough. I mean, this is now. This is while she's playing really well. She's had a couple of years in the wilderness in some some regards. I mean, if you think back in 2018 oh. or so, there was a lot of excitement around her. She was up there with Naomi Osaka in finals and all that sort of thing. Um, so it's great to see her playing her best tennis again and winning matches, hardly losing games, because she does have a bewitching style of play. and um, And I think... Today it was harder work. It was a bit more like Shiantex had to to discuss, to get through the last couple of rounds, but she didn't panic. You know, she kept mm. in the, there. Was, it was only when she was, I think, about six one up in the tie break in the in the second set, and suddenly the arm just tightened and <laughs> went like lead. And you could see, here's a woman 
on the brink of going where she's never gone before and she doesn't know whether she can handle it. <laughs> she was just hit, hitting rally balls into the outside edge of the tram lines. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's one of my favourite things in tennis, I think, to watch someone try and accomplish something they've never done before. And we saw it quite a lot today with you know, three of the four singles winners anyway. Um, and, yeah, that, that phase in the tiebreak was very much Kasakina going through it. But actually, she finished it on a wonderful point. She constructed it and threw in one of her trademark drop shots, which Kudamatova couldn't get to. And I just found it interesting how, as you said at the start of the match, it looked like it was favouring Kudamatova because she had the power advantage. But just slowly... Kasatkina, I wouldn't say took control, but just kind of turned into the sort of opponent that Kudamatova didn't like playing because she was mixing the spins and sort of laid traps for her. Didn't exactly, she? and the flight of the ball and the placement and the speed, and suddenly, suddenly Kudamatova had no rhythm to hit her shots, and it was just interesting how she did it, sort of almost. Almost silently, just as the match went on, it just sort of happened because that's kind of the the sort of crafty style of tennis that Kasatkina plays. It's it's always always great to watch her. She's lost fewer sets this tournament than Iga Swiatek as Dario Kasatkina, and that is precisely zero. She, you know, she, this was by far the most she's she's been troubled in in any of her five matches so far. I was getting quite excited about the prospect of Swiatek against Kasatkina. I had gone quite far on the hype train about that in my mind and then I looked at the head-to-head mm. Mm. and it's a very recent head-to-head yes it's... and it's it's not just losses it's seriously one-sided how many losses. is it well it's it's 3-1 overall to Sviantec but all three wins that Sviantec's had have been this year Australia Dubai and Doha so arguably you know, before Sviantec really hit her stride. And the set scores, 6-2, 6-3, 6-1, 6-2, 6-3, 6-3, 6-love. Oh, great. And, yeah, I disembarked the hype train. <laughs> and um, Igor Sviantec was asked in her press conference whether she thinks it'll be any different on clay because that's Kasatkina's favourite surface. And <laughs> Igor said, it's my, my favourite surface too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh. I think Kasatkin is going to win a set. On the basis of... Well, you said this is before Sviantek became Sviantek. I'd say this is before Kasatkin became Roland Garros. Yeah. Not, not lost a set and, Kasatkin. And, and that's what Kasatkin said as well. She said, I'm in very different shape to what I was in three or four months ago. Um, I, was, I was speaking to Pam Shriver about the match. And she's worried about Kasatkina's serve versus mm. the Sviantec return. I, I like the way you developed a sound for the name drop, just yeah. just <laughs> just as you do it. Yeah, he gave us a little moment there, to, for, and the listeners to just let that sink in. Yeah, I'm still letting it sink in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm concerned about that too, and I think Kasatkina probably ought to be. Mm. Um, <sighs> I really want it to be good and there's a world in which it is it's a it's a great contrast but that that head-to-head really does worry me speaking of the serve and speaking of Pam Shriver another another thing that came up in our (laughs) in our little chat 
was um, that in the match today, Kudamatova took a medical timeout at 6-5 in the second set, just as Kasatkina was about to serve to stay in the match. I think she'd already served for the match and got broken. There were, you know, some questions over whether that was a fair time to take a medical timeout. But Pam actually felt it helped Kasatkina because she went out and practiced her serve while Kudamatova was taking the medical timeout. And apparently she found her rhythm on the serve, upped her speeds on the serve while she was practicing it, and then came out and served really well for the remainder of the match, which I thought was quite interesting analysis. If this was a final, I'd say straight sets, classic Schwantek. But because it's a semi-final, I feel differently. It's interesting. One of the bits of analysis that, that Daniela Hantikova always says and always really resonates with me when I, I work with her on Prime is that the semi-final is the hardest match to play and the hardest match to win. You, you reach the final and you know, that is an achievement in itself. You might end up with the plate, but you know, you're a finalist. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it's you know, like playing the bronze medal match, isn't it? There's sort of the, the chance of leaving with, with effectively nothing. I guess it's the biggest gulf in outcomes, being a finalist and losing semi-finalist. Mm. Um, and, yeah, of course, she's had a, she had one a Grand Slam semi-final ex- experience, which I think still haunts her to this day um, yeah. against Anna Ivanovic at, uh, at the Australian Open. But that, that really sticks with me. And I, you know, you, you could say, we, we said before the tournament, didn't, didn't we, that m- maybe the biggest obstacle in Svontek's way is herself. Um, and that remains the case in every single match that she'll play. And it will remain the case against Kazakina, regardless of the absolutely horrifying head-to-head. Um, it's not, not great bigging up of that match, is it? But I, th- I thought I did a good, quite you, a good job. <laughs> you can't argue with the numbers, folks. I really was on board the hype train, but then... Yeah, I appreciate that, David. So Iga Shontek and Dario Kazakina will play their semi-final first on tomorrow. That is, of course, because Coco Goff was in doubles action today uh, with Jessica Pagula. Did they win, Matt? They did win. And they meet uh, Madison Keys and Taylor Townsend in, oh, wow. the, in the semi-finals, an all-American. That's really cool match. Great, yeah, really, and um, Taylor Townsend went to Jessica Pagula's wedding. It's all, oh, it's all great. Oh, loveliness! Can I propose Kagula? Oh, as a team name. Who'd have thought a raincoat would become a? <laughs> team name it literally just came to me i haven't spent all day thinking about it i've spent all day thinking about other things folks because as i uh, as i mentioned earlier 10 a.m this morning after four hours sleep off i popped to speak to amelie moresmo she um she made herself available to the media uh for the first time this tournament and it was kind of a it was a now or never situation wasn't it and um we had questions that we that we wanted to ask her very, very pressing questions. So um, off I went to that press conference. She took questions in French first. There was a lot of questioning about the lateness of the night session finishes, the lateness of the night session starts. Last night was obviously particularly severe with Nadal and Djokovic. And there was, we got a a small flavour of this, didn't we? There was a real situation outside the grounds and on the survive uh, the surrounding roads with 
people, you know, public transport had closed at that point. And for those that had arrived on public transport, they, they couldn't get taxis, they couldn't get Ubers. Those that they could get were charging them an absolute fortune. We we helped we helped a, a British woman that we bumped into getting into a cab and well she was she was getting fleeced wasn't she but she need she needed to get home anyway um lots of questions about all of those sorts of things um handled with not quite sure of the word sort of a very kind of a very naive touch i would say a, a very i mean there was a there was a real humanity to her demeanour, Amelie Moresmo's, in the press conference. There was no attempt to deflect or defend, really. She seemed extremely open. She didn't seem like a a politician up there. Um, but equally, some of the answers to her questions were extremely unsatisfying. You know, she said the issue of of public transport issues just had not occurred to her. Um, before this year she said yeah of course we'll look at it for future years it gen- it's something that we hadn't even thought of which is fantastically naive I think anyway the 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 question that I want to wanted to ask her I'm sure won't come as any surprise to you at all um, about the one night session women's match out of the 10 scheduled I said I know you said you have no regrets about that, which is something that Moresmo had said in the French portion of her press conference. But when that session is billed as the match of the day, are you comfortable with the message that that sends about women's tennis? And Amelie Moresmo answered thus. In this era that we are in right now, I don't feel, and as a woman, former women's player, I don't feel bad or unfair saying that right now you have more attraction more attractivity, can you say, appeal. She was searching for the the right word in English. That's the general for the men's matches. My goal was when I was doing the schedule every day to try and see from the first rounds, from the first round when the draw came out, to try and see what match in the women's draw can I put there. Honestly, the confrontation or the star that I could put there So that was tough. Honestly, I did really consider every day, most of the days, trying to see all of the team. We were really focused on this most of the time. But yes, I admit it was tough. It was tough for more than one night to find the match of the day. When you have this, it's an interesting one. Because as I was saying, the fact that it's right now a one-match night session is tough. Um, I then said, in a similar vein, 18 out of the 20 matches scheduled first on Longnen and Chatrier this fortnight, which is traditionally the slot that gets the weakest crowd and TV audiences. 18 out of 20 of those women's matches uh, of those have been women's matches. Is that something you would look to change? And she said, "Well, I didn't know the number. To be honest, it's day by day, but it's a good point. Yes, in the future." Knowing that number now, which I didn't pay attention to, to be honest, during these 10 days is something to take into consideration for sure. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm particularly naive about this kind of thing. I didn't expect to go to that press conference and hear strident feminism, but I did not expect <laughs> to hear that at all. I was pretty astonished and flabbergasted and... Um, depressed really about what I heard there I mean the sentiment 
of her first answer is pretty similar to that that was expressed by former Indian Wells tournament director Ray Moore in 2016, after which she was roundly criticised and forced to step down from his role. She's saying there is more appeal to men's matches. I could not find any other women's matches in 10 days that I considered to be the match of the day. And in terms of the answer to the second question, we know that Amelie Moresmo is aware of the fact that the first match of the day is the graveyard slot. We know that she's aware of that. Marion Bartley was telling us that that was one of her key priorities to to address, getting crowds in for those opening matches. So if she was genuinely unaware of those numbers, the fact that 18 out of 20 times that graveyard slot was being filled by, by women and some extremely high-ranked, eye-catching women, then the only appropriate reaction is to think, wow, there's got to be some serious unconscious bias going on here then. How can I correct that? I, and I don't get the impression today, from today that Amelie Moresmo even recognises the concept of unconscious bias or the difference between equity and equality and... I really, try, I really try latterly, haven't always, but I really try and, and with, with your guidance, David, deal with this kind of thing with as light a touch as possible and humour wherever possible because no one likes an angry, ranty woman, do they? And I guess it's some learnings from Billie Jean King about you've just got to take whatever approach is most effective. But I, I feel really angry and ranty today. It, it It's... It sunk me into a not even particularly sexy French depression, quite frankly. Um, Look, the structures within tennis are not naturally occurring. Like most long-standing institutions in society, they have been designed and upheld by almost exclusively men. They are rigged to favour men, to perpetuate the status quo and to create male-biased forces that people are so depressingly keen and quick to surrender to. We are not at the mercy of market forces. We are the market forces. We determine them. Our choices create them. And to anyone thinking or saying, Amelie's only speaking the truth or saying what others are thinking, but too afraid or not able to say, you might be right. The views that Amelie voice today are depressingly commonplace. I'm extremely aware of that. My Twitter mentions are proof of that. I have done some muting today for the sake of for the sake of my sanity. Um, but unless you believe that inherently, from first principles, female athletes are less capable or impressive or appealing than men, and if you do, then get in the bin then your preference for men's tennis is the product of a system designed to create preferences and induce choices that uphold the status quo, where men are treated as superior and more valuable. A system that devotes less airtime, less energy, less money, less respect to women. Each individual making their decisions, who to put on a poster, who to put first in a TV running order, who to schedule where. They might think they're doing so in good faith, treating men and women equally. 
but it's incumbent on these decision makers and I include us in that it's something that we are we're conscious of when you know we look at the 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 time that we've devoted to men's and women's tennis on this podcast and we don't always get it right but we are always conscious on it and it's incumbent on all of us to recognize the bigger picture the unconscious biases the difference between equity and equality and the role that we play in a rigged system and the weight that those individual decisions carry and for 15 years now the big three has been used as an excuse for consistent favoring of male players before that there was a different excuse and there will be new ones after Nadal, Federer and Djokovic have retired. I promise you there will be. Of course, there have been individual instances, many of them over the years, when it's been completely legitimate to give highest billing to the big three or give them airtime ahead of other players, men or women. You know, last night, Nadal, Djokovic, a perfect example of that. But this situation was no better before the big three and... I fear after today that it will be no better after they're gone. The unquestionable match of round one at this tournament was Naomi Osaka against Amanda Anisimova. And how quick and relieved was everyone to identify Japanese TV demands as the reason for that being scheduled first on Longlin. And maybe that was a factor. I'm quite sure that was the case and it was a factor But undoubtedly, a bigger factor is a tournament director and an organisation which views women as less appealing. It viewed that match as less appealing than Novak Djokovic demolishing Yoshihito Nishioka for the loss of four games, a scoreline that surprised absolutely no one. And in the words of Hannah Wilkes, beloved Hannah on Twitter today, Reasons will always be found to treat women's tennis as inferior, to blame the product and disclaim responsibility. I'm no longer interested in people's reasons du jour. I have a few more things to say. Mm-hmm. Mm. Our choices don't exist in a vacuum. Why... Why would any French person be motivated to get a ticket to watch Martina Trevisan tomorrow when the coverage they've watched of her so far, and I haven't watched every minute of of French TV coverage this week, but I watched Martina Trevisan's semi-final yesterday against Leila Fernandez. The coverage they've watched of her so far has failed to tell them who she is, why they should care about her, why she's interesting, why she's a bloody inspiration more than any of that after her win yesterday there wasn't even analysis on french french tv just as there wasn't after shvontek's win today they moved immediately on to reflect back on last night and look ahead to to chilich versus rublev maybe people are on the whole less interested in martina trevisan than they are in alexander zverev say or marin chilich you know insert name here maybe that is a fact But if it is, it is not because Martina Trevisan is inherently less interesting, less compelling, less appealing a tennis player or less worthy of our time, attention or respect. It's because the system has let her down and let tennis fans down and let women's tennis down. And to think that that betrayal is being validated and spearheaded by a former WTA number one is so unbelievably grim that... I had to go into a sexy French depression that wasn't very sexy. 
sit to pass 2019 style hoodie on yep. headphones over the hoodie mm-hmm. mm. matt yeah. went to the press conferences and asked asked shvantek and pagula about the comments i did well simon briggs got there before me with Igor Sviantek, he got the question in and I don't know what I was expecting. I I was like you, Catherine, I was very angry about these comments from Moresmo and I think I probably wanted some of that anger reflected in how Igor Sviantek spoke about it and how Jessica Bagula spoke about it. But of course, you know, they're playing the tournament and this is one of the things which really gets me about this i i hate having to go into these press conferences and ask these women to talk about having to justify their own appeal you know men never have to do that i want to talk about tennis with these players so i absolutely get why they answered the questions the way they did and fair play to both of them. They both said it was disappointing to hear it, especially from someone like Moresmo. And that's one of the most damaging and depressing things about this, I think, is that Moresmo saying this will will be used by sexists as a way to defend their opinion. Oh, well, Moresmo thinks it, so we're all right to think it. It's incredibly damaging, I think, what Moresmo has said today, um, given who she is and and her position. And her her lack of understanding that she, as the tournament director of one of the most important tournaments in the world, has the power to influence the perception of the relative value or appeal of women's tennis is staggering to me how she doesn't seem to have cottoned on to that and figured that out that she is playing a role in creating the stars and how can how can women's tennis possibly have as many stars as men's tennis if they're constantly in the worst slots so yeah very very well said Catherine and um I feel the same way. Uh, David, you you went to the WTA to get a, a response from them about it. They said the following. Uh, the generation and depth of talent we are currently witnessing in the sport is incredible. Our fans want to see the excitement and thrill of women's tennis on the biggest stages and in the premium time slots. There is certainly room for improvement. And if we want to build the value of our combined product, then a balanced match schedule is critical in providing that pathway. Mm. Uh, I would say that is a very polite, very corporate way of saying we are furious with what we have heard today. Do you think? Yeah, I do. Um, And they haven't said that to me, but that's my reading of it. Um, And look, Emily Moresmo is new in the job. I hope she will reflect on what she's said and the reaction to what she said and realise that she's got this horribly wrong. Um, Because... But I won't go and just repeat everything Matt just said, but the truth is it, is it is damaging. It's terribly damaging because of all those reasons that you've just highlighted. She should, She's a salesperson for, for this tournament. She's a salesperson for women's tennis. She's got an opportunity to to big it up. And I always come back to feeling like this. Just believe in your product. Just believe in the sport. 
it isn't just about stars. We saw it at the Australian Open. We all made such a fuss about Novak Djokovic getting deported. And within two days, we'd kind of forgotten about it. And we were getting on with the tennis tournament. They're going to retire. Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. They're not going to be here for, for that much longer. It's going to be Kaspar Ruud. It's going to be Andre Rublev. And, you, and, and I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this, this assumption that if you stick these people on, if you stick women on in the evening session, people won't want to watch it. They bloody will want to watch it. If you just put it on and believe in it, and you've sold the ticket, you've sold the, the media rights, put it on, get the timings right so that you don't have a 48-minute match and everybody thinking that they haven't had value for money. Put two matches on back-to-back. Or make it best of five sets, same format for men and women, as we keep talking about. But believe in your product because your product, at its best, is combined. It is men and women playing tennis tournaments at the same time. Women's tennis is the strongest sport in the world for women. And you're doing it down? You're doing down your own product? And, you're, and, you're, and something that frankly gave you a great career? Imagine how you would feel, Amelie, 15 years ago, if a tournament director had said that about you. I think you'd be devastated. I think the tennis shoots itself in the foot round of the quiz is, is not going to have a lot of jeopardy at the end of 2022, is it? I think it's, it's, I such, think it's settled. It's such a shame. We, we, we recorded an hour and a half show for Friends of the Tennis podcast that, you, that is available now, and we're still proud of it. It doesn't do down her achievements in her career. It's called the Amelie Moresmo story. And this is a, a chapter that is added on to it. And it's so dispiriting mm. to, to think that, that she's not what we thought she was. Now, I hope that that's temporary. There's still time for her to... to, to she's new to this job. I understand all that. Um, and she's not the only one either. But it is, it is a kick in the guts. Yeah. Very well put, David. It really is a kick in the gut. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Yeah, Emily Moresmo thought Holger Rune against Casper Ruud was the match of the day today and it, it was quite a good match. Wasn't it? There were there were a few very good matches today. We just watched that this evening. Casper Ruud making it through to his first ever Grand Slam semi final. Holger Rune showing us exactly how talented he is. I think he was running out of gas a little bit towards the end, wasn't he? But Casper Ruud was having a little bit, little bit of trouble getting over the finish line mm. again. It's the it's the Kazakina thing of. You, you can almost see the moment when they allow realization to dawn of what they might be on the cusp of. You it's, know, they they perform these mental magic tricks on themselves during a match, don't they, to try and stay present and in the moment and one point at a time, and the you same, know, to try and make themselves Rafael Nadal. But there comes a point yeah, where ne- it overwhelms. Never done them. it before. Never done it before. And and it's of all there's so many beautiful things about sport and and tennis in particular is that is our sport but the most delicious thing of the lot is seeing somebody stand on the brink of something they've never achieved before and finding out whether they can do it or not and Mm. and looking in their eye and seeing the terror seeing the self-doubt and then reckoning with that in front of your eyes and the millions at home and the people in the stands and I, we will never know what that feels like, but you can see it in their eyes. And it's and when they do it, when they achieve it, I don't know. It's like watching a kid being born. It's just so, so exciting to see. And we, obviously, he's at a very different career stage, but we kind of had the same thing with Marin Cilic today, didn't we? Far from his first rodeo, but his first French Open semi-final and, and possibly a, a Grand Slam semi-final that he might, have thought he would never never reach again I think we all certainly did you know we, we discussed his potential contemplation of retirement retirement rather a couple of nights ago and when he squandered that one match point in the fifth set I thought uh-oh mm, I think uh-oh. he did as well <laughs> and you know I was looking him right in the eye thinking is it there I was looking for the flickers and then into the tiebreak he goes and and it is there, and you're absolutely right, David. That is, it's one one of the wonders, isn't it, of this sport, staring them down and finding out what they're made of. He was awesome as well, by the way. At the end, it was a really patchy performance from both players, but then suddenly, from about, well, three points into that tie break, he played out of his mind, Chilich. It was kind of the story of Chilich's career versus... Rublev's career in terms of their achievements you know because Chilich in the last few years we have thought of as someone who gets very very tight in in big moments but he has also reached Grand Slam finals he's won the US Open he has a gear change or he has had a gear change traditionally throughout his career and and we're yet to see that from Rublev you know that he is a quarter finalist or he's a 
ATP 500 level winner. You know, we, we haven't seen him step up. And I think we're still wondering whether he can. But Chilich, we know can. And he did that, didn't he, in that final set tiebreak today. He just ripped it from Rublev and played a fantastic tiebreak. And I think uh, we were talking to Tomani Cariol of The Guardian, who pointed out that he hit more than 50 winners than Rublev today. You know, he outwinnered Rublev, who hits the ball hard. But he just hits it hard. He doesn't hit it exactly. effectively hard a lot of the time. And, and Chilich it, opens up the court better and mm, hits it hard as well. Rublev just has a foot to the floor level, and he doesn't. He's, there's a glass ceiling there. I, I he think can't he's break quite a, a a thoughtful chap, Andre Rublev. I think there's quite a lot to him, but he plays very brainless tennis. Mm. And I don't, you know, it's one dimensional. Ten, tennis brains and life brains are very, very different things. I don't know whether he can apply a bit more thought and strategy. But he's, he is limited. To, to I mean, he had a go at a drop shot today. I mean, I, I laughed when he hit it. <laughs> I mean, I, d- I, I don't mean I don't mean to be mean to him because he on air. Yeah, I mean, he seems like again, he seems like a nice lad. He does, and I, and I still can't watch the the self abuse that that I see on the court from him without feeling terribly uncomfortable. Was there any today? Yeah, there was some. He, he held it together a lot better than he has in the past, and I also think he's very very good at doing it and then moving on which I, I don't know how he does that. I mean, he smashes himself in the leg with his own racket in the knee and then he moves on and he rants and he raves and then he moves on. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he had a go at a drop shot and it was a, like, a, it was like, here you go, here's a mid-court forehand to it. <laughs> Pop that away for a winner. It's like he was feeding him. What I was impressed with from Marin Cilic t- today was that he he didn't play as well as he did against Daniil Medvedev. He wasn't in that purple patch and yet he's he had to dig deeper you know it wasn't coming as easily he had to get a bit gritty out there he had to get his hands a bit dirtier and there might have been moments where he thought oh god it's not quite happening today where's that tennis gone from two nights ago and he's still with all the mental baggage that he must have accumulated over the last 15 years he still found a way across the line and I really find that impressive yeah me too. And I, th- I think maybe a little bit of it is because maybe he considered the end of his career and then suddenly by mm. not doing that, you, it feels like you maybe got one last chance and just let's just go for it now. Um, and I also just want to very quickly reference the, the delicious shake of the head from Kasper Ruud yes. on the handshake Great from shout. Holger Rune, who, by the way, is, is, a, is a heck of a talent. I mean, he showed flashes of it again tonight. What a ball striker that kid is. He has talent leaking out his sides, as I think Mary Carrillo would say. Yeah, he, he really does. And he actually, he's, he's got a, a much quicker racket head speed than Rude has, and and uh, like he's a, got a better hand-eye coordination that I'm Takes looking the ball at. Early. Yeah, he's going to be a special player if he can figure out his mind as well as his body, but mainly his mind. Um, and then you're going to wind up players if you walk to the net and sort of slap their hands and look away and walk off, which he did. And Rude just sort of looked at him and just shook his head as if to say, "You little whatever." Very annoying that he waited till that moment to let the aggro seep out. Quite enjoyed it. We've been sitting here for three hours waiting <laughs> for aggro. Casper um, Rude, well known for saving his aggro for Twitter, though. Yeah, 
Mm. Yes. And that's the thing with the little shake of the head. I thought, yeah, that's just perfect understated yeah. opinion right there. <laughs> so it'll be Kasparud against Marin Cilic in the semi-finals on Friday. We'll talk about that in tomorrow's show. We've talked about Shrontek Kazakina, which is first up tomorrow. Uh, we must just have a very, very quick chat about Trevisan against Goff, which is the second women's semi-final, which we obviously haven't had a chance to discuss. Discuss The double is on for Coco Goff. Yeah. The, the singles, doubles, critique of a double. She's quietly become a massively exciting story for this tournament. Mm. Yeah, still needs to win five matches for it to happen. Three in the doubles, two in the singles. Well, if Feliciana Lopez can, <laughs> Queens. He did them all in one day for pretty much. Um, it was funny listening to Jessica Pagula talk about Coco Goff. She's she's just in awe. She's kind of like, God, she's, what is she, 19, 18? She, she was oh, she's so annoyingly good, basically. <laughs> um, and I think... Most people have her as a pretty heavy favourite tomorrow against Trevisan. It's it's easy to underestimate Trevisan. You know she's she's on a ten match winning streak. That counts for a lot. You know there's a lot of confidence there. Um, they're obviously both they're both in a new situation. They're both going to have to face what we've talked about in this podcast of trying to do something they've never done before. I just have real faith in golf at mm. the moment. I I just think. The game looks so good. She's ready. I think she's ready. I've, it's just dawned, dawned on me, Matt, that we're sitting in a room with somebody that picked a Shvantec Goff final. Oh, yeah. That was mm. me. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet. I keep getting credit, uh, credit for the Alcaraz It's been a rough pick. day, folks. It's been a rough day at the tennis. People, people spent months saying, David did well picking Carlos Alcaraz for the title, didn't he? He hasn't won the blooming title. He's not even in... Semis. Anyway. Just going to say it one more time. The Plushkova sisters. <laughs> yeah. Understood. <laughs> right, folks. Um, I think that's quite enough from me for today, isn't it? Let's have, let's have a shiny, happy, pumped day tomorrow, shall yeah, we? Yeah. Yeah, let's have one of those. Um, we, of course, have our mascot, Cooper. All right, Cooper. We love Cooper. Hello, Cooper. Uh, we have our mascots. We have Carter for me. We went for Kazakina in two, Carter, uh-huh. and we're feeling good about it. And Matt copied us, so Matt and Gerald. These baseless accusations. What, what prediction are you having, Catherine, he says. <laughs> Don't you know I've already put mine in? Very rarely. Mm. Very rarely. David, uh, you had... Rude in four. four. Oh, yes. Oh, we've ah. all scored. So, yeah, no, I'm not, genuinely no, not sure that's ever happened. No, we before. haven't all scored. I got double your points, is what mm. happened. So You should have seen him. Needed them. You should I'm have on seen the move. him cheering Holger Runer on in that second set and then switching allegiance faster <laughs> than you can imagine. It was extraordinary. <laughs> uh, Billy Jean, the dog, is sponsored by Billy Jean, the human, Hooray! and Alana Kloss. And they're here. And they're here and they're going to be honoured. Well, Billy Jean is going to be honoured by Emily Moresmo. Yes, indeed. Mm. 50 years since she won the French Open title. Mm. Wonderful. And she's also receiving the Légion d'honneur from Macron. from Macron on Friday. Cool. They've made her trip worthwhile anyway. Nice. So hello to Billie Jean Macron and Macron gets to meet Billie Jean. 
That's what's happening. Um, and we have our executive producers, Chris Albert Lee and Kyle Weingartner. They're both top blokes. And Matt, we have shout-outs. We do. We have Emily Ganko in Brisbane. Whoa, I oh. love Brisbane. Right, Emily. My parents used to live in Brisbane. Oh, I want to live in do Brisbane. Do you have any more details about where in Brisbane? I'm going to say, I'm going to get ahead of the shout-outs today and say I don't have many details today. Okay. Okay. No further details. Are there any tennis Emilys? Emily, Emily Webley-Smith. Webley Emily Loire. Remember her? Yes. No. Emily Loire. French. Oh, come on, Matt. Oh. Tell me more about Emily Loire. Well, it just reminded me of my first ever Australian Open in 2003 when Jonathan Overend on BBC Radio said, imagine if Emily Loire married... Lamano trays all the while and she could become Emily Luala Waloa. Oh, who's the next shout out for, Matt? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the next one is Pierre Cantin, or perhaps Quentin, um, Quentin from Montreal. One half of a Pierre Rugue. Yes. I love Montreal. That is one of my favourite cities on the tennis tour yeah what's his name again in the world pierre cantin or Quentin? i'm not sure yeah right pierre also the home of poutine which is a great food product is it what is it it's chips with gravy and cheese curds on uh, you'd no. put vinegar on don't that as well that wouldn't you, you say, i would no i don't <laughs> put, i do have a vinegar only policy with chips but not with poutine Right. It doesn't go. Okay. Doesn't anyway, hello, Pierre. Right, Pierre. And finally, we have Helen Seekin, who is living in London. Hello, Helen. Oh, well, I also live in London. <laughs> Correct. Great choice. Very good choice. At Tennis Helen's. Helen Wills, Wills Moody. From, from the, the early the 1900s. Longland. That's yeah. right. Well, yes. how appropriate. Thank you very much, Helen, for your support. Thank you to all friends of the pod. Thanks to all of you for uh, for sitting through my rant today. I promise I promise to be less ranty tomorrow and and hopefully all days going forward, but uh, it felt like it needed saying. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting us. Sign up for the newsletter if you haven't already. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Hannah is doing magical work on there as always. Leave us an iTunes review. Tell your friends. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 